This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available through all your favourite podcast platforms and at warfradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, Coach versus Coach is back. Lisa, Coach Kiwi Roper versus Nicole Grays. We'll have the latest injury report, the lowdown with Luana Williams. We'll check in on AFLW Fantasy Football with Jack Hooper. Also, we'll head up to the NT and talk to a rising star, Grace Mulverhill out of the Southern District's Crocs, and then head back to Victoria. We'll catch up with Darren VFLW coach Mitch Scully. But first, the latest women's footy news. To our latest women's footy news and round two of the AFLW will have five of seven games going ahead with two postponed. The GWS Giants versus West Coast Eagles clash and the Adelaide Crows versus Fremantle clash have been postponed to another date, which will be determined in the future once the COVID-19 situation is over in WA. A person tested positive to COVID-19, the South African variant, on Sunday. The WA state government put the Perth Pill region and southwest WA into a five-day COVID-19 lockdown. Due to that, the West Coast Eagles players and Fremantle players are currently at home. The Adelaide Crows footballers who just got back from WA were forced into 14 days south quarantine by the SA government. The GWS Giants players were permitted to return home to Sydney, where they're currently under five days lockdown, awaiting upon further advice from the New South Wales government. The AFL at a later date will confirm when and if the games will go ahead for the Giants-Eagles Crows and Fremantle Dockers. All the other five games in the AFLW Round 2 will proceed as scheduled. Going across to the Tribunal, Alicia Newman of Collingwood can accept a one-match sanction with an early plea after she was charged with rough conduct, a dangerous tackle on Vamua Lalofi of Carlton. Other players who got a reprimand with an early plea include Bree Davey of Collingwood and Madison Press-Parkers of Carlton for their scuffle near half-time at Icon Park of that opening game of the season. Jay Brigelli has been charged with tripping Tegan Cunningham of Melbourne. Uh, she can accept a reprimand with an early plea. Eloise Jones of the Crows was charged with engaging in rough conduct against Dana Hooker of the West Coast Eagles. Uh, she can accept a reprimand with an early plea. Astro O'Connor of the Cats was charged with rough conduct, a dangerous tackle on Ashley Riddell of uh, North Melbourne. Uh, she can accept a reprimand with an early plea. Likewise for Al Bennett of the GWS Giants, she was charged with striking Hayley Miller of Fremantle and she can accept a reprimand with an early plea. Going to the AFLW Rising Star nominees for round one. They are Brisbane midfielder Bell Doors and St Kilda defender Tani White. In fact, Bell Doors scored 10 out of 10 uh, of votes available from the AFL Coaches Association for round one. And talking injuries from round one, we'll go in depth shortly with Luana Williams and her lowdown. Uh, Mua Lalofi of Carlton uh, had a concussion, a knee injury for Anissa Bradfield from Gold Coast, and Hatchard of Adelaide had a cork car. Annalise Lister from GWS had a head knock and it looks like she could be uh, missing at least uh, 12 days of action. And uh, news out of the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos that Britt Gibson has undergone surgery on her hamstring after suffering a high-grade tendon injury. And that's your latest women's footy news. The Lowdown with Loana Williams.
and we're proud to introduce to you the lowdown with Lawana Williams and AFLW injury report with Lawana Williams from the Australian Physiotherapy Association. Lawana, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Peter. How are you doing? Well, I'm great because we've got someone on the line that can talk about injuries when it comes to AFLW because I think we all assume that in the men's space, it's well known that Dr. Peter Larkins is the expert and he'll go through and talk about injuries and what's happened and try to put it into layman's terms for us. No one's really doing it over on the AFLW side, so it's great to have you. Can you explain to the audience a little bit about your background in physiotherapy? Yeah, sure. So, um, oh gosh, I graduated quite some time ago, about 10 years ago now, which makes me feel a little bit old, um, and I've worked in quite a, a variety of different areas. So I studied in Sydney, worked for about a year there in the hospital sector, have since moved down, you know, moved down to Melbourne, sort of working across a whole bunch of different areas. So working as a physio in hospital, working um, sort of in outpatients, orthopedics, Uh, moved over to the UK. That's a really common thing that physios do. They do, I call it the obligatory two years over in the UK and then um, came back to Australia and sort of been working in um, community-based physiotherapy um, and then as you mentioned, now currently works for the Australian Physiotherapy Association in a policy type space. And it's great to have someone with your experience uh, with us. Now, obviously, we'll talk about one or two things which don't quite fall into the physiotherapy space, such as concussion and your understanding of the new rules. But let's begin with one of them, which uh, obviously is something you would normally work on. When we talk about a corked calf, Anne Hutchard from Adelaide was their best and fairest last year. Uh, I know a few people have got him you know, in an AFLW fantasy side, so really a crucial player to Adelaide's uh, aspirations of making the finals should they start playing again after this uh, pause with COVID-19 and self-quarantining um, a core calf injury um, is it a case of okay you just got to run it out through training and you're fine what is the process about trying to work on that to try and either get a person up for one week or, or we're looking at a little bit of time out well, I guess well, I'll take a step back and sort of explain what a corked calf is. Um, a lot of people probably had corked muscles. It's essentially um, a direct blow to the muscle, which causes bruising or bleeding within the muscle itself. So whether or not they're going, how long you will be out from play, it really depends on how bad that blow was in the first place. What you, uh, I would imagine, what the medical staff will be concerned about is how much um, the the muscle has actually been impacted. So if you think about a bruise to a muscle, what's happening is that the calf isn't going to be able to function in the way that it normally would. So activities that might need calf contraction is going to be a little bit harder to do. So I'm thinking in a football perspective, probably running and jumping might cause some pain and be a little bit difficult. So uh, rehab, looking at uh, you know how much stiffness there is, um, how much pain there is, and whether or not and to be able to get back to doing things like running, jumping, kicking, what you'd expect from um, in a football in a football game, so back on the training field. Um, I guess considering that they do have the missed game this week, that might actually be a blessing in the sense that she might not miss any of her regular games if she's able to just if it's quite minor and she only needs two weeks off in recovery. 
Okay, let's talk about Anise Bradfield from the Gold Coast Suns on the uh, AFLW website. She was just listed as Anise. Now, Anise could be a variety of things, as we know, from the worst uh, being an ACL to uh, being a PCL injury to being just a bit of bruising around the knee, like uh, we think of the VFLW a couple of years ago when McCallie Award during the finals had to miss out a week due to bruising around the knee. Now, according to the Gold Coast website and their physiotherapist, uh, Aaron Duffy, uh, he said it was a knock to the knee of Anise Bradfield, uh, had a collision, it impacted her left knee, they assessed it during the game, they put some strapping on, she was fine to continue the game, but they're going to monitor during the week and test it out. Now, what are the things are they looking for and how serious or, or, or minor when we hear the term a knock to the knee? Yeah, I guess a knock to the knee really is what it suggests. There was probably at some point, well, definitely at some point during the game, there was a bit of a collision and she got um, her knee got hit from that. The fact that she was able to get strapped and keep playing, I think, is quite positive. If it was something that was super-duper serious, I expect that they probably would take her off. Um, and looking at, um, they're talking about this week, uh, seeing how she's going. I, I would imagine looking at testing her out and training, doing some drills. Um, when you have injuries to any part of the body, uh, it's quite common to, when you have also with delayed pain, um, you quite often don't have pain at the time of the injury. Uh, sometimes that joint or that part of the body doesn't feel like it wants to move as well as it would normally. So it might be a case of that you might have a bit of stiffness in the knee and or maybe the muscles around it might be starting to get a bit tight. So just looking at whether or not that's something that's going to impact her ability to play this weekend, um, I would would be thinking it would be just checking out how she's going with her during training and the drills that they will be doing and making sure she's pulling up okay after each session. Let's talk about another injury, and it was just revealed on uh, Tuesday by the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. That's with 28-year-old uh, Britt Gibson. Um, she's undergone surgery on her hamstring after suffering a high-grade tendon injury. Can you put that into a, a little bit of layman's terms for us? A high-grade tendon injury. How serious is something like that? Well, I guess it's a, so. Injuries, most injuries, soft tissue injuries are actually graded, um, normally from grade one up to grade four. So if they're saying high grade, for me, first of all, hearing it, um, I would think potentially grade three or grade four, but I, I could be wrong about that. And so that really is just how much damage has been done to the actual structure itself. So grade one it, at the lowest is relatively minor, and that's what you were talking before about the, maybe the bone bruising or something like that. Um, if we uh, just sort of uh, supporting the area around the injury and getting that to heal a little bit quicker, and then looking up to grade with a grade four, which is the, that is you know the worst case scenario, and it's going to take the longest time to get back, and is going to require the most amount of um, rehab. So um, they haven't said what level that is, but I guess with high grade, you're probably thinking probably grade three or grade four. Now, we move into an area which is not normally associated with physiotherapy, but you've been across some of the uh, rule changes in that space, and that is concussion. It's interesting to note that Mula of Carlton has been listed as concussion. Uh, Annalise Lister of GWS, they've just said hepnox. So we're now questioning if that's concussion or whether there's another injury. Of course, uh, GWS very concerned about head knocks, as we'll talk about in a moment with the bridge stack injury. But with Mula Lofi having a concussion, it's confirmed to be a concussion. There's now a rule change that's been brought in. Uh, courtesy further research into CTE. Yeah, so this is a new rule for this year, which will affect um, the AFL men's competition as well. Um, they've doubled 
the AFL has doubled the amount of times that play the amount of time sorry that players need to sit out after they've suffered a concussion. So it was previously six days, and I guess if you had a a bit of a gap between the two weekends of your two games, you could potentially play one weekend and be available for the next week. But they're now changed that up to 12 days, which means any player who uh, is ruled to have had concussion in the game is going to have to sit out for a minimum 12 days before they can play again. So we'll miss uh, the next game, the, next, the game of the next week. I guess with um, Annalise Lister uh, from GWS, that may not be as much of an issue. I understand they're not playing this weekend, but... Um, for Moira Lofi, yes, that could be quite unfortunate for her. One for, one for those playing the She Plays AFLW fantasy game to consider if you've got her in mm. your side. Uh, the big one that everyone's been talking about, this didn't happen during round one, but we might as well address it because it's been raised again, uh, courtesy of uh, an opinion piece that she herself put out. That's Bridge Stack from the GWS Giants. Of course, we saw that vision of that collision with Ebony Marinoff. Originally, Marinoff got three weeks. Then she got off an appeal. We saw the article immediately afterwards from Bridge Stack, who, uh, when the Irish examiner, who wasn't happy that no one was really punished for um, her injury, which she is, uh, according to her article, spending six weeks in a neck brace and then six weeks without. So she's hoping, uh, well, officially being told a 12-week time frame to coming back with that C7 vertebrae fracture in her neck. She wants that window to be less. Now, you're a physiotherapist. When someone has a serious injury, such as a neck injury, what are we talking about about the rehab here? Is Can you, is it wise to cut corners or is it a case of, no, you really do have to wait the 12 weeks? This is serious. I think when it comes to something along the lines of vertebra fractures, it wouldn't be just the physio who would be involved in this sort of treatment. There would be quite a lot of medical input, and that would be due to the fact that the the nerves surrounding the vertebra, um, there would be – thankfully for her, uh, it was a stable C7 vertebra fracture, and there was no damage to the surrounding nerves. But I guess um, you would want to have constant medical input into this as well, just in case that that situation does change. Um, she, yeah, so she's in the brace for six weeks. That would be to, I would imagine, to allow the uh, vertebra to heal uh, and make sure that the, the bone is able to heal that fracture, which would be priority number one. And then following that, it would then involve rehab around gaining back strength, um, movement, um, and I think as well comfort in able to move. If you've had something that's been in a splint or a cast or something along those lines for such a, a long period of time, it, I can imagine it feels a little bit weird as well when that starts to get when that gets removed and you're able to to move joints normally, as it were. Well, Luana, thank you very much for joining us on the first week of the lowdown with Luana Williams. You're the kind of segment where we hope to hear from you less, as in we want less injuries in the competition. We yes. say that in the nicest possible way, but we know, of course, this is a contact sport and injuries do occur, and we look forward to catching up with you over the remaining weeks of the AFLW season to try and guide us through a little about these injuries that do happen to these star players and their road to recovery. Yes, thank you very much for having me on, and I completely agree. I also hope that you don't need to hear my voice as often as well. Two women's footy legends go head-to-head in Coach versus Coach. And it's time for Coach versus Coach. We've had the first round of the AFLW. The tips are in, the results are in. And it's great to have on the line two legends of women's football. We begin, of course, with who the segment was originally named after when it was Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. Lisa, Coach Kiwi Roper. How are you, Coach Kiwi? 
still here, still finding and top of the ladder. Oh, rubbing it in, rubbing it into your (laughs) rival from Queensland, the Cooling Gatta Bluebirds QAFLW coach, Nicole Graves. But I will give you some good news, Gravesy. You were closest to the pin on one tip. In fact, you got the team and the margin exactly right. I did notice that, yes. No, no, it's all good, Pete. As I said, (laughs) great to have uh, AFLW back. It was just, uh, you know, it was a really exciting weekend. There was some great highlights and a few lowlights. Before we get our tips for round two, let's do a recap of round one. Carlton and Collingwood. Collingwood 33, Carlton 27, a one-goal margin. You were both in the ballpark about the margin, but you both tipped the Blues. I start with you, Gravesy. Yeah, I'm just going to hang it on Kiwi there just quickly because she didn't even pick that team that she coaches, so that's poor. At least I'm back in the, yeah, back in the Suns girls because they're at least close to my house. Um, so yeah, listen. Um, oh, the the game was one of those ones you don't know whether it's nerves or not, but it was a bit congested. I thought Collingwood's, Collingwood's clearance work was excellent, um, and it actually almost doubled the Blues, even with Bree Moody's rack dominance. Elise O'Day in the second half really showed what she can do, and uh, probably a highlight for me, which gave me a bit of a giggle, was Maddie P and Bree Davy going at it. So that was that was pretty entertaining for me, just knowing 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 them both so well. I guess um, you know, in terms of the low lights, I just thought Carlton they just didn't swivel their head, and I know how um, how they are coached, and um, they sort of just blasted away and wasted their possessions. So if they don't get their efficiency up. Um, it may be a bit of a detriment to this season. Um, and probably some of the, so, you know, some, some of the other individual things, I thought it was interesting at the end of the game with Maddie Press Parker talking to the group uh, in the huddle after the game, which certainly uh, shows um, what, uh, I guess, the Blues mean to her. And, uh, and I thought, um, you know, the way the Pies play was outstanding. It was scrappy early, but uh, they really showed you get the score on the board. It's really hard to chase. And um, I just can't wait to see the pies when Ash Braz gets back. So that's sort of my snapshot around that game. Great leadership skills there from Matty Prespark, as you pointed out, future Essendon AFLW captain. Uh, Coach Kiwi, you tipped against your own side, Collingwood. <laughs> oh. oh, you know, um, yeah, the game could have gone either way, I think, and, and that's what we thought, that um, the Blues may just have the steady. But um, that first quarter... Boy, the tackle pressure was enormous from both sides. And um, I haven't heard anyone knock that there was no score, but um, I just think the game, if you saw the game, you'd understand why there was no score. But credit to Collingwood. They sorted things out and really took it to the Blues in that second quarter. And I think that's where the game really was won um, throughout because uh, they kind of backed off a little and just held the lead. The, for, I think for Collingwood, their, their key players, you know, Bree Davies, Chloe Malloy, Jamie Lambert, uh, even Stacey Livingston on Taylor Harris, they all stood up and they all played really solid. And then you had the other contributors like um, Ebony O'Day and Ruby Schleicher had a ripping game. Whereas I think for the Blues, their key players didn't get to stand up. They didn't get the space. They didn't get any freedom around the contest to, um, you know, perhaps show what they're better at. And I think that whole... Biffo with um, Chris Parkers and Davey was just out of frustration from Maddie. You know, I don't think even very dirty players, but just the whole frustration. She wasn't getting good um, um, possessions. She was pretty heavily tagged, um, you know, and it just adds to that kind of pressure, I think, for a youngster that wants to shine and 
round one. You know, you want to get the the votes as well, I guess, for um, to back up your best and fairest. So um, the only probably sad point I think is Mua Laliofi, um, get you know, getting that concussion. She was pretty solid for the Blues, and so she'll be out for the next round at least. So um, bit of a shame. I think they're going to really miss her in the back line. Yeah, yeah I agree. I thought uh, Laloisi and Wilson really looked great down back for the Blues. So that's a, you know that was set, definitely a highlight, I guess, in a game that they would have loved to have taken the points away. And I, I thought you know it's interesting. I sort of was looking for those signs throughout probably the whole weekend about the, I guess the teams, particularly the Melbourne teams, and and um, you know their touch given that they haven't played a lot of footy over the last twelve months. And, and as I said, the Queensland, South Australia, and Sydney. Players have probably, you know, have had the benefit of um, of being able to, you know, at least play some games in their uh, in their state league. Let's take a look. Yeah, at- I think they played some really clean, good footy. You know, they didn't yeah. look rusty. Mm. Let's take a look at the second game of the round. It was on Friday night at RSCA Park. You both got the tip. You both went for the Saints, and you're both around the mark. Gracie went for eight points, Kiwi for 11 points. In the end, it was the Saints by nine points. Coach Kiwi. Yeah, how good for um, Peter Seals' young team. I think she had six on debut, five brand new at AFW level. Um, I think they were just outstanding. A um, couple of quick goals early in the game and um, probably set the tone. And they had most of the game about a two-goal lead until the Bulldogs closed in on them. But they settled. I think, you know, for their age and their perhaps uh, top-level football maturity, they played beyond their years. And, um, you know, I played at home. I'm really stoked for them. And um, really stoked to see that photo of... um, or even the video of Nathan Burke embracing not only Alice Burke, but the other players that he's coached as well over the years. But, um, yeah, the father and daughter embrace at the end of the game was pretty nice. Crazy. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a ripping game. I was I was just, yeah, I was on the edge of my seat yelling at the TV. Um, yeah, so I just thought it was a fantastic game. You know, fast, great skills. You know, um, the St Kilda tackle pressure and the technique in their tackling, if... Uh, you pay some attention. Pete's really got them um, going in that sort of area. I thought the Saints' clearance work was excellent and actually was double of the dogs. When you think of Celine Moody and her probably her dominance in the ruck, um, the clearance work, you know, as I said, to get double um, the clearances of the dogs was impressive. But Ree Watt, um, as the, I guess, the op, as St Kilda's ruck, really just worked more around the ground. So that was really good. Yeah, um, oh, Patricia's just a genuine star, isn't she? I just love watching her play. You know, with the dogs, you know, Ellie Blackburn, Izzy Huntington, both of those girls, their leadership, they were just shining lights. And I guess the dogs just need more contributors around that. But, um, you know, Tilly Lucas-Rod continues to show that you can just reinvent yourself. Um, And when a coach shows belief and, and, you know, builds a role around, you know, an individual's strength, I thought that was just outstanding. Um, you know, in terms of the other thing, I really love to see a team coached, I guess, how to really play the game and not just, I guess this is probably a bit controversial, not just what AFL men's coaches think that they should be playing. So, so that was, um, you know, that was excellent. I think, you know, as I said, um, last week, I think Pete's building to something, uh, amazing that will give them really sustained success. It was interesting, uh, the efficiency inside, if you talk about the score line and what dogs probably wasted, the efficiency inside. The efficiency inside was 70% to 39%. 
um, in the way of the uh, in the way of the Saints. So I mean, really, you know, the Bulldogs really need to find a way to goal and not have those yips in front of goal. And I suppose for me, the other thing, I guess one of my low lows, I hang it a bit on the commentators here, is these commentators really need to stop. Um, saying the word squirt in women's footy. It is not cool. It makes me cringe. And I just like, every time it says. So So there's my tip for the uh, for the commentators. But uh, as I said, just a ripping game. I really enjoyed this game. It was probably a game, apart from probably Frio being a bit biased, that, that I thought this was, you know, probably the best game of the round. The only what, was, lo- what do they say squirt for? Oh, you know, they squirt it out the back when they handball it out the back. Oh. Oh, and I just go, it's so not cool. Oh, but dear. I don't know. Where it's, certainly they oh. use it in the men's game, but I'm like, I'm not comfortable with the word squirt <laughs> full, full stop. So it always makes me kind of giggly, cringe, kind of going, oh, I've really got to, you know, shoot someone a text and just go, you got to stop it. Anyway. So there's my, you know, out of my expert commentary with you, Pete. <laughs> Do not use the word squirt in women's footy. I'll, I'll, there you go. There's a the big one. I'll just let that one go through to the keeper. But I will say that the <laughs> the loser from the round was our very own Wharf Radio's uh, Christy Williams, who thought when the rain bucketed down on Friday morning, it'd be a good thing to load up betting-wise on the total underscore being 39 and a half. Um, the total score for the game was 93. So, uh, yeah, that kind of backfired. We go to Saturday. Hey, um, yes? Yeah, no, absolutely. The, it absolutely poured with rain in Melbourne all throughout um, Thursday night and Friday. But the game itself, you would think they played on dry on a dry mm. field. Mm. Like there was not puddles, but just their um, clean hands with the football was pretty impressive for – um, you know, the ball must have been wet anyway. But, um, yeah, I was yeah, quite they're definitely flying level. the flag, weren't they, for, for AFLW this season. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go across to the Saturday game of the Gold Coast Suns versus Melbourne. Both of you tipped the Suns. Crazy Suns by four points. Kiwi Suns by nine points. In the end, it was the Demons by 21 <laughs> points. Crazy, you're all about Queensland footy. What went wrong? Uh, oh, sorry. I meant to say by four fifty-meter penalties is what I meant to say <laughs> oh, last week. Oh, whack! Uh, it was tough, wasn't it? As I said, so the highlights for me: one hundred percent packed his mullet. That was the biggest <laughs> highlight of the game That's for me. And obviously, highlight. I was I was there live. So yeah, listen, I really enjoy, thoroughly enjoyed the game. And as I said, probably the scoreline didn't reflect necessarily the game. I thought it was an excellent game. And, and generally when I watch them live, I kind of get a bit bored. But uh, I really enjoyed that game. And <clears throat> particularly the Suns' uh, new look forward, Lauren, obviously being a massive uh, Leah Kasler fan. It was great to see her down there. And I thought um, with her and um, and uh, Britt Perry and, and – um, and uh, oh, God, I've had a mental blank. Um, oh, Perko, sorry, my bad. <laughs> <clears throat> sorry, Perko. And Perko just really gave them some experience down there and they really made good decisions. And I thought, you know, that's what really gave them the ascendancy early. But obviously the low lights, you know, 50-metre penalties, just and not necessarily 50-metre penalties through, you know, there's some new players in that Suns lineup that kind of just oopsie-daisies. But, uh, and I think uh, I think some of them still don't realise what they did. But I think the 50-metre penalties through poor discipline, is, it's just a coach crusher. I reckon Lakey would have just been losing it in the box there. So, yeah, so that was disappointing. I thought as the individuals thought, um, you know, Dreno and Perko have really given this team 
um, some additional experience around, you know, just footy. And I thought Tyler Hanks, um, with an injury-free pre-season, is really starting to show why she was one of those top draft picks uh, and why the midgets rule in AFLW, all those under 160 centimetres. Um, so, yeah, so that was good. But Melbourne's ability to just get wide and get that uncontested possession is really hard to stop. And although Suns continue to improve, they've just got to tweak those, you know, those disciplinary things. And, you know, three goals, three direct goals from 50-metre penalties, you know, makes, you know, uh, makes Suns score, you know, eight goals, five. And the game's, you know, changes. So, you know, that was disappointing. But uh, to Melbourne's credit, they were fantastic. And, you know, they're well-led, they're well-drilled, and <clears throat> they were really, they're always really, really great to watch the way they move the footy. So, yeah, so it was an excellent win. And uh, as I said, yeah, my tips are generally fairly emotional. Um, so, yeah, so I'll probably do that most of the season. But uh, as I said, it is what it is, and it was a, a, another ripping game of AFLW. Coach Kiwi. Phew, can I get a word in? Um, Yeah, look, I think, um, I thought it was a pretty scrappy game, but really um, tough to get some clean possessions. But where the difference came, I felt, was the likes of Daisy Pierce having a player like that that just sort of hangs at the back of the contest and just steadies that ship and gives that direction and gets the ball going forward. And um, I think that's probably where, you know, they kind of won a lot of those close battles with Gold Coast um, and just that composure on the field. It was great to see Perko back and not just scoring goals, but setting up goals and working with that forward line, as Gravy said. Like, um, she's been a huge recruit for Gold Coast and I just, I do, I'm happy to have tipped them, thought they would have got it and I think they will. They'll get some wins uh, definitely coming up. West Coast Eagles and the Adelaide Crows met over in Perth and Graves, he tipped the Crows by 30 points. Kiwi, the Graves, the, the Crows, pardon me, by 21 points. In the end, 38-point victory to the Adelaide Crows, Coach Kiwi. Oh, weren't they on fire? It's good to see. Um, and, you know, all the people that we knew were going to stand up, stood up. And um, can I just say, Aaron Phillips, 282 fantasy points. Voila. I wish she was my captain. I didn't pick her as captain. What a shame. Um, but, yeah, good to see. Good to see her on the ground. And her that left foot goal, superb. Great coaching point for all you kids out there. Work off both feet. What and, else is there to say? Amazing. And to Gracie, <laughs> Chelsea Randall, who we know as a half-back player or going into the midfield, named this week in the AFLW Team of the Week in the forward line. Ah, listen, we all knew that in the West. She actually played three or four years uh, as the key forward at Swan District. So, yeah, Chelsea can play anywhere, let's face it. And it was just so good to see her back and, you know, enjoying her footy. You know, again, Crows were just outstanding. Their tackle pressure. And so when you talk about the two teams, and it was it was amazing to see, you know, um, you know, West Coast really in that, I think, it was second quarter. You know, that's the kind of footy that they can play. They've just got to get some consistency. So that was that was good. But, you know, Crows t- tackle pressure inside 50, and this is a brilliant stat for, for any forward line. Um, you know, they're attacking 50. They almost tripled the Eagles in terms of their tackle pressure. So they 20 tackles to eight inside the Crows' forward line. So you can just see that they just keep in there. They want to keep it in there until they until they get that and get that major score. So it was great. Um, you know, Mick Bowen, again, a bit of a bias with the old Swannies kids. You know, it just shows that those small players 
can really make it in, in AFLW as we're talking with Chris Parkers and, um, you know, Tyler Hanks and Georgia G. So, you know, they can really have an impact and they, if they're smart, they move around the ball. So that was wicked. Um, you know, Marinoff, it was, you know, it was great to say playing footy and, and as I said, it was it was probably a hard week for everyone and it was, you know, awful incident. But I thought you could almost see it changing your tackle technique slightly given last week's incident. So, you know, kudos to, to everyone. We want to see people, we want to see our best players out there and we want to see um, our players out there and being safe. So I thought, um, you know, at least uh, we got through the game and we got through the game, I think, almost unscathed. Um and as I said, it shows, you know, Crows are definitely a different team with Randall and Phillips as their bookends. And, and Pratty, um, the coach of uh, the Eagles, um, certainly would have seen signs of improvement. So, you know, I think against the best, you know, one of the best teams in the competition, you know, they didn't lower their colours too much and, and they will improve and they'll continue to improve. Then on Sunday down at Cadinia Park, Gravesy, you tip the ruse. Kiwi, you tip the ruse by 12 points and 7 points, respectively. The end margin, 62 points. Gravesy. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Um, Wow, wasn't it? I think North really shouted their intentions for 2021. I I guess we've been talking about the Crows and Carlton and uh, and Frio, but they were unstoppable, weren't they? And Emma King was amazing. And, and, uh, you know, it's going to be so hard to stop. At the best of times, you know, being six foot five hundred, and um, you know, it's and she can, you know, in the ruck she was dominant. When she goes up forward, she's hard to stop, and, and she's got a really good boot. So you know, she gets that. She can really kick him from forty anywhere from forty inside. So that's, you know, that's a really uh, important key to have. I thought, you know, you know, Meg Mack and Liv Purcell, they just busted themselves all game with little reward and. I guess my biggest concern, it's really hard to see where Geelong's improvement is actually going to come from um, in terms of that. You know, if, if some of their small senior players really need to stand up. So, yeah, so there's a bit of, there'd be a bit of concern down there at the, at the Cattery, I reckon. And Coach Kiwi, we flash back to 2019 on draft day. Ali Gavalis, a big surprise, coming out of the Western Bulldogs, taken by North Melbourne as a top 10 pick. Probably didn't quite live up to the hype in 2020, but bang, straight out of the blocks in 2021. Yeah, look, she had a fantastic game, and and I think probably she's in a team full of stars, really. So to stand up amongst them is is pretty impressive, and get the possessions that she had. Um, North kicked eight goals, eight goals to no reply the last time they played Geelong at GMHB Stadium. And then this game, they did just the same. Eight goals before Geelong got a point. Um, I think, you know, I think the game actually changed or shifted momentum within about five or six minutes when Phoebe McWilliams took a mark inside 50 and then went to play on. And I think that's probably, if, if she had just settled and she could have kicked from there, we've seen her kick from there before, or head up the other forward that was um, closer to the goal. I reckon we would have seen a different Geelong team, but after that, it was just it was just like they were just forever chasing their tails and never looked like getting the ball back to their fifty. And um, by the end, uh, when they finally got a point, the crowd just roared. <laughs> it was at one point I, w- I was at the stadium and I thought, oh, did they give that a goal? I thought it missed. 
there was that much cheering going on. Um, so the crowd got behind them. Um, it was good to see Meg Mack. Um, she did one really good rundown tackle. You love to see that in a game. But, um, but yeah, the highlight absolutely was Emma King. I thought she had a quiet season in 2020 and um, is back with a hiss and a roar. And you're right, she's six foot 5,000. There's nobody that tall, especially not in Geelong, who's going to stop her in the air. And there was a moment where Caitlin Ashmore took a mark inside 50, looked up, nothing was on. So she pitched the ball up and it just went straight, you know, above Emma's king, just uh, Emma King's head is what we sort of say is, you know, put it on their heads. And she did. It was easy for her to mark. I, I reckon she didn't even get off the ground. Um, and she was, you know, straight in front of the sticks. So they're going to be hard to stop when they can put her in the ruck. She wins the hit outs and they can put her forward like that and she kicks goals. That's going to be um, pretty hard for anyone to stop against North. Let's head on down to Punt Road where on Sunday, Richmond and the Brisbane Lions, Bravesy went for the Tigers by six points. Ba-bow. Coach Kiwi, the Lions by 19 <laughs> points. In the end, the uh, total margin was 29 points to the Brisbane Lions. I shall start with the victor, Coach Kiwi. Did you see that game, Gravesy? No, mate. <laughs> no. Of no. course I Look, did. I did. Um, you know, good on Tigers. I thought they had patches of um, some good play throughout the game and definitely showed um, a bit of an improvement from last year. Their um, number one draft, she had a bit of a cracking game and got in there. And um, I think Mon Conti being stopped so solidly, I think she, did she only get like 12 possessions or something? That's probably a big um, impact for um, Richmond stopping them going forward when you take out your, you know, your main um, ball user through the midfield there. Um, but yeah, Lions credit to them and um, around the park, I think they had some really good players that just play consistent for the four quarters um, and just won enough possessions and um, kept kept the scoreboard ticking over. Very small crowd, I think, that they ended up having at Punt Road, but. I guess everyone's cheering. They've had uh, top tier match back at Punt Road. Yeah, the COVID safe crowd number, I believe, was about two and a half thousand, with about a hundred or two hundred more standing out on Punt Road, watching through the fence. To yeah. Grazy, how to, good is that? To Grazy, time to explain yourself. Oh, yeah. Listen, yeah. Some people have to hate me in Queensland, I guess. Now, listen. <laughs> as I said, I, I'm a bit, a bit emotional. I guess I was backing, backing. You know, uh, you know, says Hosking down there and a cash. Um, you know, two of my two of my favourite people, and and I really want them to to do well. I, you know, you know, I think uh, Richmond again were much improved. It was great to see Katie Brennan back to where she should be playing, and that was deep forward, and and you know, eleven possessions down there, and and she'll get those goals. Um, you know, coming coming through in the in the in the coming weeks. So I think there there'll be lots of improvement there. The Lions' ability just to continue to reinvent themselves is just amazing. You know, um, staff really gets them together. Their leadership, they're connected. You can see that they're, you know, they're really happy to play footy together. And, and as I said, I played, you know, I coached against a lot of, well, most, just about all these girls. Um, and But when they come together as the Brisbane Lions, they're just at a whole other step up. It was really impressive. Great to see Safe Conway out there, um, you know, uh, obviously had the Rico after year one and, you know, but to see her, she's really finding it that form from year one and she's a little superstar. Izzy Dawes, what a, what a ripper young um, player she is, obviously the round one rising star. Um, and, you know, uh, 
well, bit of WA bias, Courtney Hodder being out there playing footy, I just loved watching her and getting a couple of goals. Lutzy, Kate Lutkins, I mean, what can we say? She just, everything comes from, it's it's the team that really drives from that halfback and she just changes the whole game. So it was really impressive. I, I, you know, I see lots of similarities between the Lions and the Ds in the way that they, they use the whole ground. They get heaps of uncontested um, possession. You know, they were... And, and they were almost 70% disposal efficiency, um, the Lions. So it really makes a massive difference, you know, if you can get that footy and really hit target. So, again, that was really impressive. And, and um, you know, another game, you can see these teams, you know, playing footy. It was just, again, a really great display of, of footy by the Lions. And, and, yeah, as I said, I, I still back that, you know, that, that – Richmond are going to, you know, are going to have a, a good season. Yeah, they're not going to probably light up the finals, but I think, um, you know, Kiwi putting them on the bottom of the ladder is pretty harsh, the old wooden <laughs> spoon. So we'll see how we Someone go at the end to. of it. Yeah, but as I said, the Lions, you know, just a, just a great display of footy, and, and I'm just always impressed how they how stars just gets them up and about and just keeps going. So you know, it was really good to see, and it's always hard to tip first round, but um, yeah, I was I was really pleased for the for them winning anyway. And that Lions victory, of course, was also without who Craig Stasevich calls the best left footer in the competition in Jess Ruchner as well. So they can only get better. To the final game of the round, it was Fremantle versus the GWS Giants. Uh, both of you tipped the Dockers to win. Kiwi by 18 points, but Gravesy right on the hammer. You picked the margin, 30 points. I'll let you explain the Dockers' victory. Ah, boom, <laughs> see? There is a couple of teams I know a little bit about. Um, yeah, listen, I, I thought it was a really uh, – the worst thing for me, I guess, for this first round, apart from, you know, really enjoying, you know, generally every single game was probably, um, you know, the watching, you know, the play, the minute silence for Cinder at each of the games and, and obviously this game even closer, um, you know, with, uh, with Cinder being West Australian and playing at GWS and I thought – you know, the highlights for me were the way G- GWS honoured Cinder, the 34 on their jumpers, on the staff shirts. And, and I thought Alicia Eva's leadership throughout the week, and particularly, obviously, the past six weeks, but six weeks. But, you know, some of those um, stories that were done on her and the way that she spoke um, about, you know, I guess them coping with what happened to Brett last week uh, in the practice match and around Cinder and around all the travel they did, you know, you know, they should be commended, particularly um, Alicia, but, you know, certainly the, the, the um, Giants on and on just the way that they conducted themselves. And I thought that that game, given everything that was happening, I thought they had played a really good footy game. You know, Beck Beeson, 28 possessions through the midfield. Um, Lise Parker, she's just so consistent. Um, you know, unfortunately, Gemma Houghton, who is just a lunatic and just lights up the field, every time she gets the footy and I always have a giggle, obviously having coached Gemma at, uh, at, uh, in WA as well. I know that even her own teammates aren't even sure what she might do with it. So she's pretty hard to tag because I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether they know, we know, or she even knows what's going to happen next, but uh, it's always impressive to watch. And as I said, it's, it's really exciting and I always get a, another good giggle when uh, Gem does that. So three goals was, was outstanding. Um, it really shows Dockers continue on their form from 2020 and they've really got some purpose there. But obviously watching uh, this week's rounds, they'll, uh, they've certainly got some 
some oppo that will uh, we'll be trying to burst that bubble. Um, GWS, I think, you know, they're going to really take it up to these top teams in 2021 if they can build on what I saw on Sunday. Um, and I really, I really can't wait to see these round one teams that have dominated in in, uh, in the past uh, few games we've just spoken about when they meet each other in the next few weeks. And I, I look at uh, next week's rounds and some of them are fairly tantalising, so I can't wait to uh, to watch next week's AFLW. And Coach Kiwi, we should point out with the Frio Dockers because not many of them are giving their due credit that they deserve. Everyone's talking about the Roos smashing Geelong and, yep, that's it, the, the, the Roos are clear-cut favourites. Remember, six wins in a row, then they smashed Gold Coast by 70 points in that first week of the finals before the season was cut off in 2020. They've picked up and they've beaten a fellow final side. Uh, GWS were actually sitting second in uh, their conference uh, before they lost to Melbourne that first week. So they've beaten another final side by five goals. Yeah, Yeah, what can we say? They're on fire. We we both have picked. Um, Freo to be in our top four as well and um, Gravy's picked them to be in the grand final so I think yeah we both um, we both know that we talk about the strength throughout that Fremantle team and with all the emotion of the whole weekend and building into uh, that game with the Giants I think um, I think the way the Giants started that game I, I felt Yes, a whole lot of them had been crying throughout that minute silence and then they they regrouped a bit and then they went out. It felt to me or it looked to me that they actually played quite solidly in that first quarter. Like they really took it to Frio. So perhaps the six weeks has been a really good chance to build that resilience and um, build that sort of sisterhood amongst the team and look after each other and um, has, has helped them come out the other side a little bit stronger as well. Um, and, you know, like I know some of those girls really, um, you know, have felt the loss of Cinder and the team. And I felt the lineup for Giants as a whole just missed Cinder's ability in that forward line. Um, you know, so so that's something else I think they've got to cover is having that kind of dynamic forward that, that Cinder would bring to matches too. Um, but, yeah, Parker through the middle is just, you know, I don't think you can knock her for um, just the consistency that she brings, just that genuine hardness at the football. And she probably copped about three or four high shots, just accidentally high shots through the first half and didn't get a free kick, but carried on, just carried on, getting back up, getting the football again. And just she's just, a, I don't know, a busy, busy bee, the way she goes about her, her craft. Um, it's just awesome to see. And I imagine if she had been Victorian, we would be talking about her um, so much more than perhaps she gets talked about. Um, it's good to see Biso on fire, um, who's generally been a forward. So it's good to see her coming through the midfield and collecting so many possessions and able to set forwards up too. Um, Cora, normally a forward, is also playing through the midfield a lot more. Um, is a bit different. But um, Gemma Houghton, boy, oh boy. The amount of time she got free and bounced that ball at the field, like the first time you put someone on it and you stop her. But for some reason, the Giants just kept giving her space and kept getting caught um, just with too many, too many backline players, not many up, I felt. So she just exploited that and she's got the pace to do it. I think she had 10 bounces or something. It's just ridiculous. 
Um, and on that, but yeah, and then you note, link up with the likes of. On that note, we'd like to what? acknowledge world-renowned sprinter Tanya Hetherington. <laughs> well, yeah, look, you know what? A, what a chase-down tackle she had. You know, I thought, yeah, that was one where um, she really got in a good position. But Hetherington throughout actually read the play quite well, and I think gave some direction through that back line. I just think they just weren't tight enough on on enough occasions to stop the speed of the ball use that Fremantle had coming forward. Because the likes of Sabrina Duffy, Roxy Rue, they're very quick players, and Roxy's very good in the air. Um, so, yeah, I think Hetherington, fantastic tackle, without a doubt, and did a lot of work down the back line. But, um, but yeah, Giants have got a bit of work to do, whoever they play this week, um, if they play. But I think they've probably got a better chance of being competitive than perhaps Geelong when you look at the two games that had the big big goal, the big score margins. And recapping from that round, Coach Kiwi, five out of seven with the tips and Gravesy with four out of seven. Let's look at the future, round two. Whatever. We know five (laughs) games so far and some possible hypothetical situations which we'll get into, but let's begin with Pride round and the original Pride game. Friday night, 7.45pm Melbourne time at VU Witten Oval, the Western Bulldogs versus Carlton. Both sides lost over the weekend. I'll start with you, Gravesy. Who wins and by how much the Doggies and the Blues? Uh, listen, if uh, I think if uh, if Carlton can tweak a couple of those things, and they would have learned a lot from last week, uh, I think the Blues. But uh, again, Bulldogs just need to get consistent in front of goal. But yeah, the Blues by twelve points, mate. Catch Kiwi. Oh, I'm going to go different. I um, I don't know if I want to tip Blues again, um, but I think Bulldogs at home. I think um, they know after last weekend that they were in the game and then they weren't in the game. And I think they've got a few little things themselves that they can tweak to be very competitive. I think Carlton are going to really miss Moore at the back line there. And that's going to be a big difference. Bulldogs have um, done really well in these pride rounds. And I think, I'm pretty sure this is the one where Brooke Lachlan kicks seven at one point. So um, I'm going to go Bulldogs at home by seven points. Yes, Brooke Lachlan kicked seven against Carlton, but uh, remember last time they played in the Pride game, Carlton beat the Doggies at VU Witten Oval. Saturday, the 6th of February. Saturday, 6th of February at Victoria Park. Collingwood versus the Gold Coast Suns. Coach Kiwi, do you have faith in your side this week? Look, I do. I'm going to go to the Pies straight off the bat here. I think they're uh, playing quality football. I think they've got 21 players there playing really good football. And I think, unfortunate for the uh, other ones that weren't picked last week, I don't think they're going to be able to break into that 21. It's um, barring any injuries. I'm pretty sure there's no injuries. But I think um, just throughout, everyone just fired. And I reckon when they go down to Vic Park, they have brand new change rooms to go into. I don't think they've seen those yet. So that's something a little bit special. And I reckon that's just going to fire them up a little bit more and they're going to own that piece of grass that um, the Collingwood faithful love so dearly. Gravesy. Guess what? I'm on the Suns. <laughs> I'm on the bandwagon. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Listen, and I think, uh, you know, the Suns played, I think, six uh, of their um, uh, drafted players or debutants or, 
new players or whatever you call them. Um, so, yeah, so I think that, you know, some of those, um, you know, may may not necessarily play in this in this game. I think they may bring back some of the, their experience. If you think about some of the players from season one of the Suns that, that didn't play last week. So I think uh, Suns may sneak a bit, a bit more of that experience back into the side going down to Melbourne uh, and taking on the pies. I can only pray for one of those 40-degree days in um, <laughs> Melbourne. It'd be really nice. But, no, I'm, ba- I'm back in my Suns girls. Don't you worry about that. And the margin. Oh, the margin. Uh, <laughs> uh, listen, uh, I'll take it in by... Nine points. Let's go down to the most hated venue in the <laughs> AFLW as unofficially voted by AFLW fans. Uh, Melbourne versus Richmond, 5.10pm local time start. Gravesy, who wins between the D's and the Tigers? Oh, listen, mate, it's not just the only, it's not just the uh, the supporters or the, the crowd that hate Casey Fields. I'm not sure if anyone really is a big fan, but uh, anywho, uh, no, yes, Oh, no, after watching Melbourne live last week, they were impressive. And, and at home, they're, um, you know, the way they move the ball, they're just going to get uh, better and better. Uh, again, I think Richmond will find, you know, find out, um, would have learned a lot of last week and it will continue to be better. But, yeah, no, I think Melbourne by four goals. And Coach Kiwi, statistics show that Melbourne do struggle at Casey Fields while Richmond just struggle. I um I I think I think this is the only game in Victoria this weekend not sold out. Wonder (laughs) why? Because it's a long way to travel. Um, (laughs) Yeah, look, I've been to a few of those games at Casey and Demons uh, don't particularly go well. Although there was one time they played terrible and still managed to get the win over the Giants, which really hurt. But uh, I just think this time around, you know, I think with Libby Birch at the back line, it's going to be pretty hard to get through her um, with the forwards that the Tigers have, uh, unless they can be really pinpoint on top of Sabs and used to height. And at the other end of Demons is you've got Tegan Cunningham, who's um, kicked a couple of goals last week. So she's back in action. And then that solid midfield with the mullet and Daisy Pierce backing them up. So, yeah, I'm going to go D's by 24 points, which I think is what, Gravesy really meant too. Oh, yeah. The Moulay, please, mate. The Moulay. The Moulay. Okay, go on. Let's have a look at Sunday football (laughs) and the game of the round. It is a COVID sellout at Arden Street Oval. In fact, the tickets went in 30 minutes. The Kangaroos and the Saints. Coach Kiwi, we'll start with you. Hey, those tickets, the members were only allowed to get one. So... For it to sell out, which I don't know, they probably have 300 people there. I don't know more. But, um, but yeah, other games, members have been able to get six tickets. So that was interesting um, in that regard. It's a lot of anxiety in our house this morning. But, um, yeah, look, Saints, I'm certain they're going to play some really good football. And certainly Patricios and Greiser and um, Tilly Lucas Rod, they will definitely stand up and feature in this game. I just feel... North are going to have the run. It's their home ground. They're trained. It's a beautiful piece of grass in this side of town. I don't know what side of town you call it in Melbourne. <laughs> Central? The West? north side West. of town. It's called North Melbourne. It's, it's actually... But it's yeah, north, but it's not in, it's north, north is Eltham and up that way, isn't it? Heidelberg. Okay, in a suburb. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's actually <laughs> West. 
it's Western yeah, suburbs. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go north. Emma King to kick a few and um, Emma Carney dominate that midfield. Uh, it'll be interesting if Duffin can push her way back in the squad. Um, I'm not sure she's quite match fit yet or or fit enough to get in, but to have someone like her to come in is pretty impressive. But, yeah, I'm going um, north by 12. I think um, it won't be all so easy, but, yeah, north by 12. Crazy, we know you tip on emotion. Will you tip against your old teammate and Peter Searle? Never. Nah, listen, <laughs> this one's hard. This one is hard. And I think this game is really, you know, North are really impressive, um, although as the Geelong was, was pretty underdone. Again, I, I agree with Kiwi. Arden Street, um, you know, they, they're going to be, you know, keen to, to um, you know, to have a, to play well in front of their home crowd. I think this game's really important for St Kilda to, to really see where they're at, you know, and um, as I said, we, we sort of think, you know, North will be, you know, part of that top half and, you know, if Saints can continue to work, you know, at that game plan, I think it'll be really different. So I think it'll be, I, I, I am backing North, um, but I think, I'll probably rue this decision, but I think St Kilda may get more out of this game than North, North apart from the four points. Um, yeah, so I think it really will show all of us where St Kilda really is and in terms of that game plan and the way that they play. I just think, fortunately, North's just got all these superstars. It's hard to tip against them much of the time. So, so yeah, sorry, Pete. I, I was definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm on the bandwagon, um, but I th- just think uh, if this game was later in the year, I'd probably be on the Saints. But, yeah, being this early, I think uh, Saints would be still building. And North-, so North by 14 points. To the final game of round two, allegedly. It is the Brisbane Lions versus the Geelong Cats at uh, 2.10pm local time up there in Queensland. Gravesy, no doubt you'll probably be heading along to check out that game. Um, should I just ask you the Lions by how much? Yeah, it's a very good point. I will I will head up that <laughs> way, although that's... It's a long drive to Brisbane from where I'm very down south. So, yeah, so I'll, Have you never I'll get been on the to Casey? <laughs> well, yeah, it's about the same. Uh, although the M1's being, uh, being renoed, it seems like forever. So it may take anything between an hour and three hours. Uh, however, yeah, Hickey Park, great ground. Lions play it really well. And, and a lot of the Lions players, obviously, that's uh, also their home ground. So, listen, I'm backing. Yeah, I'm back. Geez, the Lions could win by 10 goals here. So I apologise, anyone that. You know, I was mates with I was mates with at uh, at the Cats, but again, if the Cats can find more consistency around some of their young superstars, they've got some great players. They just need to get get hold of the footy and work together. Um, and you just it's hard to see where their where their footy plan is. Whereas Lions, there as I said, you know they're consistent. They they just keep possession of the footy. They use their whip. They change lanes. And as I said. Lutzy just unstoppable off the half-back line. So, yeah, so Lions by eight goals, mate. Coach Kiwi. Oh, that's a lot. Um, yeah, look, you know, I think uh, Geelong need to perhaps reshuffle their team a little bit. I thought Rocky spent a lot of time in the forward line. They probably missed um, some of what she brings to that midfield and her um, hard ball gets. And they bring her in there and then set her free. She can feed that forward line. and. Um, perhaps able to free up um, either McWilliams or their other forwards so they're not tagged up on by Lutkins um, and get a bit of a chance going forward. 
Um, Lions, you know, they've got, I think with Sophie, as Graves you said before, Sophie Conway, she played some in the back and then you'd find her a minute later in the forward line. I think a player like that with so much run in her legs, they're going to be hard to, you know, man up on or girl up on, woman up on. They, um, you know, just add so much dynamic to the team and that quick and quick ball transition coming through um, will make a big difference. And I think that's where they'll catch the cats um, just quickly moving that ball and, you know, with that midfield with um, Zilke and that. I think Lions by 19. So that is the games that we know will happen in round two. I want a uh, quick tip on some hypothetical situations that could pan out because the games that have been officially postponed, uh, GWS Giants versus West Coast, which was meant to be played at Norwood Oval, and the Adelaide Crows versus Fremantle, which again was also meant to be played at Norwood Oval. There are a couple of scenarios that could play out. If the fixtured games, albeit a different venue, did occur, Gravesy, who wins Giants and Eagles by how much? And who wins Crows Frio by how much? Well, as I said, I think Eagles and and the Dockers could play just in their hour of um, exercise time in WA on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we could almost get it there. Yeah, quick changeover. So, yeah, no, nah, listen, I think, yeah, the Giants, if they're in Sydney, um, as their West Coast still building, but I was really impressed with the way the Giants played. And, and as I said, I think given their first home game and if they can... They can get there there. Again, I think they'll just carry that emotion. And as I said, I was really impressed with the leadership of their of their group. And, um, yeah, so Giants, Giants by four goals. And so I think that's 24 points, Kiwi. Yeah, and, and the Crows, and the Crows <laughs> Dockers, if they also play Gravesy, if the Crows Dockers played in Adelaide, where would your tip and margin swing on that? Oh, jeez. Oh. <laughs> Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We've got some new thinking music for you. I'm going Dockers by five points. Coach Kiwi, if the Giants and Eagles played this weekend and the Crows and Dockers managed to play in their game this weekend, who wins both of those games and by how much? Um, yeah, Giants at home, I would expect them to um, be a bit more solid and there's bound to be a Sydney summer storm, so there's bound to be a bit of thunder and lightning to set the game on fire. So um, West Coast don't have that kind of rain, I'm sure. I'm going to go Giants by eight points. I think it's going to be a close one. And um, the Crows, Frio, I think Crows at home are going to be strong. They're just... I just think if it's too much, I think they have just got too much firepower throughout the whole field. I know Frio also do, but I just think Crows at home are just going to have that edge. And um, Frio probably, if they do get to fly, it's probably going to be an in and an out kind of a flight. So I imagine their um, legs may be a little bit tired. So I'm going to go Crows by 12. So that is if those games happen. But as kind of Gracie hinted at, there is the theory that we could see if the Perth lockdown ends in five days, um, a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday game scheduled of the Dockers and the Eagles in WA. And if Adelaide are allowed the same rules as the GWS Giants and are allowed during their lockdown to leave Adelaide to go to Sydney, we could see a Crows-Giants game being played in Sydney. So based upon that hypothetical, 
Gravesy, who would win Eagles Dockers by how much? And who would win Crows Giants by how much? Frio, uh, well and truly over the Eagles and the Crows over the Giants. Coach Kiwi. Oh, you want how much? Sorry. Oh, no, don't worry. Just go go for the winner. They probably it probably won't happen. <laughs> but in in any case, Coach Kiwi. Look, I think these two matches are much more likely to happen than what was scheduled and then um, put on the back burners. And yeah, Crows and Frio are just gonna uh, be too dominant. And you know, I think I expect the games to have quite high margins. So, yep, Crows Frio. Well, Coach Kiwi and Nicole Graves, thank you very much for joining us on another episode of Coach versus Coach. Congratulations again, Coach Kiwi, for winning round one. But there's some interesting tips in round two, which gives Gravesy the possibility of catching and passing you should those outsiders get there. Exactly. Extend the lead. No, there's no use winning. You don't win premiership (laughs) to the start of the year. Okay, okay, don't worry. I'm going to come back. I'm pacing myself every week. One win more, one win more. Coming up soon, we talk AFLW fantasy football with Jack Hooper from Supercoach Talk and SheePlays.com.au right after this. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks. Because footy makes you smile, sweet kicks football. If you're getting ready for the trials, gotta go the extra mile. Sweet kicks football. Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. She plays AFLW Fantasy Football Podcast. Now it's time to talk AFLW fantasy football and the game that you need to be playing is at sheplays.com.au, the AFLW Fantasy League. It debuted last year in 2020. It's back for another season. Last week we gave you a little bit of advice and who you needed to pick for your team to kick off the season. Did you make the right selections? To find out, we've got on the line from Supercoach Talk and sheplays.com.au, Jack Uber. Jack, how are you? I'm great, Peter. How are you? I'm feeling fantastic that we finally got the AFLW season up and off the ground for 2021. But I want to know, first of all, from you, how did you go in the opening round? I did okay. I had one player not play in the end. That was Jess Duffin. Uh, we got caught out of this there with the teams being named only 24 hours in advance or so of the game that were being played, whereas the lockout happened all at once. And that's something that the AFL did with the men's season last year, although I, was not, I wasn't personally aware that that was going to continue for the AFLW this year. That's, so I'm sure I'm not the only person who got caught out by that. Um, that's something we'll look at at our end, if we can do something to make that work a bit better, although I can't promise anything at this stage. Uh, so I had Jeff Duffin on the field, and then my 
rookie defender I had on my bench also didn't play. So uh, that wasn't a great start. Apart from that, I think I did okay. Um, I had a lot, most of the players I picked did did well. Uh, Tiana Smith, for example, uh, Aaron Phillips, uh, Emma Swanson, Chelsea Randall. My captain, Kiara Bowers, was a little down on her usual form, but still very good. Uh, so nothing to complain about there. Uh, I also had a forward. I had Tyler Hanks from Melbourne, um, Brooke Lachlan from the Bulldogs, Taylor Harris and Darcy Vesio, both from the Blues. They had lowish nights um, on Thursday, but I think I'm not. I'm not going to pull the plug on them just yet. They're both very, very good players, and I think they'll bounce back. Um, See, so yeah, I think I. I feel like I could have done better, but I certainly could have done a lot worse. So, so far, so good. I'm obviously waiting for the side to calculate my points to find out how I went in uh, round one. But to give everyone a bit of an insight into the team that I picked, uh, I should point out that I went with Jess Wuchner, who we didn't find out was an emergency to 24 hours before the game. So that hurt me in the forward line. But uh, my uh, squad from back line through to forwards was Randall, McDonald's, Catherine Smith, Gilroy and Hartwig. Across the midfield, like yourself, I went with Kiara Bowers and named her captain. Also went with Carney. Paxman Pierce, Ali McKenzie on debut, and I'm very happy to have Aaron Phillips in the side. As I said, I had Wuchner, who didn't play, had Kate McCarthy, Alicia Newman, uh, Ashling McCarthy, and Ebony Antonio sitting for me on the bench. I had Tia Haynes, Lauren McGee, Tegan Cunningham, Isabella Grant, and Indy Tahu. A couple of them I knew weren't going to play that were on the bench, but it was more a case of I was trying to keep the cheapest possible players I could have on the bench and taking a punt that everyone I've selected on the field was going to play. But as we found out with through Jess Wuchner, that backfired for me. I'm sure you weren't the only one. So let's talk about some of the better players as we go through um, uh, looking back at round one, particularly if people want to know what points were they worth and how much could they be worth also in monetary value if they're, if they're good to get into the side. Players always look at rookies, uh, first or second year players, thinking they might be a bit undervalued and they can get them in the team. Uh, we look at Balladors. Um, AFL Coach Association gave her the full 10 out of 10 votes. She was nominated for the NAB League uh, Rising Star Award. And St Kilda's Tani White was also na- nominated for the NAB League Rising Star Award. How did they go in fantasy points? Yeah, Dawes scored 118 points, which is very, very good. She's available for $20,000. So. If she can keep doing that, she'll be very good value. And who was the other player? Sorry, Tani, Tani White from St Kilda. Tani White. Hold on one second. We should also mention Tani White has been named as a defender in the AFLW Team of the Week for Round 1. We'll also pick out those names shortly. Sure. Well, in fantasy, she's available as a midfielder for $30,000. She scored 107 points. Um, so yeah, she did very well, I think. I'd probably want to see larger numbers than that personally if I was going to bring in someone of that price. Not because it's not good value for the price, I just think there's better value for the price. But that's still a very good performance. 
I'm interested to know if we have a look at the defenders on the AFLW team of the week, how Stacey Livingston from Collingwood went. And this is always tricky. And I think of players very similar build, similar style, like Tanya Hetherington for GWS. But let's focus on Stacey for a moment um, because not only was she named in the AFLW team of the week, uh, everyone said she had a great battle with Taylor Harris, beat Taylor Harris. But for those Defenders, the tall defenders that do those, you know, small little one percent of things, does it translate though into fantasy points? In this particular scoring system, it often does because one percenters are worth four points in our scoring system. So every little one of those, every spoil, every smother, that's going to be another four points to her total, plus any intercepts she gets and any movement she generates, say, off backline. So she scored 111 points on the weekend, which was very good for the $30,000 anyone paid for her. Excellent value indeed for anyone who backed her against Taylor Harris. How about Harriet Cordner? Harriet Cordner from Richmond, as we know, was a high-profile transfer. She was originally on Melbourne's list. She's gone across to the Tigers. Now, remember, this is the Tigers coming off a loss, though. So how did that fare for her fantasy points? Possibly quite well because she was in the back lane. So she scored 120 uh, points on the weekend, which is more than what anyone would have paid for. So that's certainly... Well, she was in my team and I'm very happy with what she did. So I think she did well. I'm interested in the value of this Iraq battle. Let's talk two players. We're talking Lauren Pierce of Melbourne versus Emma King of of North Melbourne, Tasmanian Kangaroos. Now, Lauren Pierce had a fantastic game on Monday against the Gold Coast Suns, and many thought, that's it, she's the uh, clearly the ruck of the round. And then Emma King, three goals, had an outstanding match against Geelong, uh, particularly when we balance the points versus the value that they're both available currently in the She Plays AFLW Fantasy League. Who's giving us better value for our money between Emma King and Lauren Pierce? In terms of raw value, I'd say, based on the weekend, it's about even. Lauren Pierce is available for $40,000, and she scored a whopping 174, whereas Emma King is $5,000 cheaper at 35000 and scored 150. I think going ahead, I'd be more inclined to get Lauren Pierce in because some of Emma King's points came from the three goals she kicked, and I think, as impressive as that was, she probably won't do that every single week. Uh, whereas I don't think Lauren Pierce hit the scoreboard at all, but still managed to get up approaching 200 points, which for $40,000 is very, very good. So she's almost certainly coming into my team. We've been talking about Erin Phillips, 10 out of 10 from the AFL Coaches Association. You had her in your side. I've got her in my side. Uh, many call her the GOAT, the greatest of all time, with two W um, award medals. And, of course, uh, as a Premiership co-captain for 2017-2019. How did Erin go in the uh, opening round of the season? She did okay. She got 282 points. <laughs> if only, if only we made a captain. If only, yeah. 282 points for Erin Phillips. You've got to get her on the side. If I'm correct, Erin was only around 40,000, wasn't she? So She was, yeah. She, she is tremendous value when you go up against the likes of like Bowers is at 60. Yeah, you see, Erin Phillips played a couple of games last year where she was affected by injury, and so she still did okay given that. But she's now back to full fitness, and so 
the price is reflecting her injury-assisted outpush. And so now that she's back to full fitness, she's really just someone you have to get into your side, I think. If we follow the mullets, Karen Paxman from Melbourne, she seems to be, it's strange to say underrated football. I don't think underrated is the fair term. I think it's more of a case that she flies under the radar, particularly when you used to have Daisy Pearce at Melbourne and Lily Methan, who are a bit, both of them a bit more out there in the media and Aliso Day. Paxman just keeps on keeping on. You, you rarely hear her in the media, besides obviously at the moment talking about her mullet. How did Karen Paxman fare for round one? 154 points. So pretty much what you'd expect to get for the price you paid. So that's good. Um, not necessarily world beating, but still a very good score and nothing I don't think to complain about. Let's have a look at another name, which is a quirk of obviously uh, the game where Chelsea Randall, we've obviously known as a defender, but she moved forward in the game that uh, she played on the weekend against the West, against the West Coast Eagles. Um, she, She's been named as a forward in the AFLW team of the week. She was cheap. She was $40,000 because she missed the entire 2020 season with an ACL. She's bounced straight back. How did Chelsea Randall fare in the fantasy points? 168 points. So I think another crow that's definitely worth getting into your side, along with Sharon Phillips, if you haven't already got her. Then also... Uh, leans to another player who's gone from defence to forward, and that's Isabel Huntington. She played in defence and won the uh, AFLW Rising Star last year, coming off the half-back line. But for those that have seen her in the past, know her true talent is really in the forward 50, as she showed in that game against uh, St Kilda over the weekend. How did the Rising Star feature uh, in the fantasy points? And if people are looking to add her into the side, how much is she going to cost them on the budget? She did very nicely on the fantasy. I'm sorry, she did very nicely on the fantasy side with 154 points. She's available as at $45,000, and she's available only as a forward. It seems so. You won't be able to slip her into the back line, but if you've got a spot in the forward line, definitely one to consider. Although, I guess the only thing I would say is, is she going to kick multiple goals every week? Because uh, if she, if not, then that would probably see her numbers drop a bit. But even then, at $45,000, she can potentially be a very good player for people to get in. Now, some of us may have gone for Sarah Perkins from uh, the Gold Coast Suns, former Crows footballer and Melbourne footballer. Some kind of hang back a bit going, well, maybe she won't get that many possessions. If she kicks a goal or two, it may not be worth that many points in the scheme. However, in that game against Melbourne, she did also rack up 11 disposals. So 11 disposals and two goals. It got her at least a spot on the interchange in the AFLW uh, Team of the Week for round one. How does that translate into fantasy points? And is it worth it for the money that she's currently available at? Well, she got 140 points on the weekend, which is nothing to sneeze at at any price, but $35,000 is definitely something that gets your attention. Um, is she worth getting in? I'd, she's probably the sort of player that will be up and down a bit. Um, so I'd maybe give it another week to look and see if that was just a one-off or is that something she's going to do more regularly? And it, it may well be because I think scoring in terms of actual scoring in the game, not fantasy scoring, looks like it's going to be way up this year. And so that is very good for forwards. 
And it's, it's good for players down the ground too because they'll rack up uh, score involvements for being involved in chains of possession of that result in scores uh, as well. So that might see... I wouldn't be surprised if fantasy scoring went a bit up across the board anyway, but you could see a lot of key forwards do quite well if that translates across the whole season, and I think it will. Um, is Sarah Perkins worth getting in at $35,000? I'd Possibly. I'd say wait and see. I'd give it another week, but definitely one to watch list. The standout player from the Carlton-Collingwood game was Brittany Benici. She scored nine out of a possible ten from the AFL Coaches Association awards. And, and, and she's an interesting situation, particularly, again, when it comes to fantasy football. And we're talking earlier about Stacey Livingston, about the one percenters, etc. How well do you see taggers go in the fantasy game? Because sometimes you don't know how to treat them. If she's playing a, a full-on stop role, then you wonder, okay, is she really going to rack up any possessions? Or is it more a case of she's just working on pushing someone off the ball or snapping the ball out of their hands. It doesn't matter about her position game. She's there to put the brakes on someone. She clearly was a standout in the game against Carlton. Did that translate into value for money and good points for those that picked Brittany Benici? Not necessarily great value for money, but certainly good points. She got 101 points on the weekend. And the Carlton-Collingwood game was, from a fantasy standpoint, a lot lower scoring than most of the other games. So that was a bit of an anomaly. Um, and so I think that was probably around, I think from memory it was around 25 or 2,600 points, whereas most of them were up, up in the sort of low to mid 3,000 point range, so say 3,300 to 3,500 points. And so that's a lot fewer points being handed out across the board. So when you think about that, I think, I'd say... And from memory, the top score in that game was around the 130 mark, which is a lot lower than we've seen in the other games, for example. So in terms of a share of the points, I think she did quite well. Uh, she got 101 points. But at $55,000, you would want more than that each week. That said, it was a low-scoring fantasy game. I don't expect that to be the case in future matches. And so... There'd be no re- I'd be, see no reason to trade her out on the back of that. How about Georgia Patricio? She scored 10 out of 10 from the AFL Coaches Association's award uh, in the St. Kilda versus Western Bulldogs game. She was going up against another ball magnet that was in there in uh, Ali Blackburn, who also rated highly with 8 out of 10 votes. Patricio is someone that's um, flown a little bit under the radar when it comes to rising star and awards like that because um, there obviously was players like Press Parkers around her era as well. and and um, the, the, So the spotlight hasn't been on her despite uh, us singer a couple of years ago at VFLW level really star for Essendon a real coming out party for for Georgia Patrikios uh, in that uh, round one victory at RSCA Park. Um, I'm guessing as well that because she's a youngster she probably would have been undervalued. How about for those that picked her up? How well did they do? They would have done well she scored 156 points on the weekend which was very very good and she looked she looked very good just from, the, just from watching the game she looked very very good and so I expect that kind of scoring and possibly more to continue for the season. She's $45,000. Uh, she did, did play last year. And as with a lot of high draftees, she came in and immediately started scoring very well. And so that's why she's a bit expensive, but she's certainly one to look at. Um, I don't think she's going to go backwards on last year. She's more, she should at least 
at a bare minimum tread water, I think she should more likely take a game to another level. And just from the eye test, it looked very, very good when I was watching the game. And so to see her score well is not surprising. So, Jack, some parting advice before we uh, get into round two. It's going to be an interesting round as well. I believe that uh, behind the scenes anyway for sheplays.com.au, still a bit of discussion going on about how we work round two with not only the close, which was in round one, which was an hour before the first game got underway, uh, but what we do in this situation where at the moment, as we speak, Adelaide, GWS, West Coast and Fremantle are not playing this weekend. Yeah, look, I wish I could give you a firm answer on what is happening with that re- in that regard. I think what you when those games go ahead, we we will coaches will see points from those games added into their sides. Now, it, I guess it depends how it depends on when the games are played as to how that happens. Um, if the games still miraculously go ahead this weekend, which I think the AFL has said could happen, it's unlikely that could happen, then that's problem solved. If it happened, if they got played, say, next week before round three, again, that'd be quite simple. Um, if they got played either during another round or between later rounds, that would complicate things a bit. We, as I said, I wish I had a firm answer for how that would work. Uh, there may be one in the we may have an official policy on that written down somewhere. I don't think that we do. I could be wrong on that. Um, but I'm sure we'll come up with a solution to that. I guess that poses the interesting question. Um, again, it's almost like treating it if you had an uneven competition. You had 11 or 13 teams and you're having a buy round. It's a case of do you hold those players that are having the buy or do you um, move them out? Um, I guess looking at your personal opinion, Jackie, you know, with like you, you've got Aaron Phillips in your side. Is it a case of we know we can only do two tra- at this moment we can only do two trades of the round before we're penalized 100 points each player is it a case of yes i will hold i might take the hit for this round but when those games are caught up i will get my value back and chase up or do you personally make the move of no let's move on Aaron phillips and one or two others and let's try and get someone of equal value or, or, or lesser price to help in your cap to try and uh, make up those points in round two it's a tough one look if if it looks like there's a chance that the games will be played either this week or next week before round three i would i would certainly be holding Aaron phillips if if not, then look, I would probably trade her out this week and then look to bring her back for the following round if she's not going to play in round two. So that's what I would do. And I, and I would try and I'd probably look at, look at any problems in my side, which is the right thing to do going into round two anyway, and see if, if there's anything that needs fixing before it gets too out of hand. Um, so personally, I've got some... Rookies on the bench that didn't play. Um, I'll be looking to rectify that. I think there were some. I think I picked probably picked fairly well for some of the newer players, but some there were other players around the same price who massively outperformed a lot of them. So I'll be looking to swap, make some swaps over the coming weeks with that. Um, 
And look, if if trading out a big name player who's worth a lot of money opens up cap space for you to make some interesting maneuvers, then that can be worth thinking about. Um, just keep in mind, you'll probably, probably want to keep a trade handy to bring her back in, such as especially if it's someone like Aaron Phillips, to bring her back in as soon as she's going to play again. Absolutely, particularly for players like me that are sweating on the likes of Antonio Bowers, Randall and um, and uh, Phillips. It might be moving day, at least for a couple of them. Jack, thanks yeah, very that, much. Yeah, that, that, that's a long list. <laughs> Jack, thanks very much for joining us here. And uh, well done on a very good first round for sheplays.com.au for the 2021 season. Fingers crossed everything goes smoothly behind the scenes. And it should make round two a lot more interesting to see who moves who around. It will. It will. You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne Carnival. Still to come, we're going to catch up with Grace Mulverhill, a 17-year-old running around with the Southern District Crocs in the NTFL Women's Competition. She'll be draft eligible this year. And also Mitch Scully's on the way, the head coach of Darabin and the VFLW. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. NTFL Women's Footy Report. And joining us on the line now is one of the up-and-coming rising stars in the NTFL Women's Competition. In fact, she's just at the age now where she'll be able to nominate for the AFL Women's Draft coming up in around October. And possibly we may see a pull on an AFL Women's Jumper in 2022. Let's talk all about that with one of the stars of the Southern District's Crocs, the reigning premiers. It's great to have on the line Grace Mulverhill. Grace, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all, and what an important win for the Crocs over the weekend, managing to knock off a second place St Mary's by three points. Yeah, it was good to get that win. It was really important for us heading into finals. Absolutely, a thrilling uh, 13-point win, 5-7-37 to 3-6-24. We'll talk about that game in uh, depth in a moment's time. But first of all, we want to talk about your career at Crocs. The previous interviews that we've done over the last few weeks, a number of players, of course, have been changing clubs back and forward. But for you, Crocs means so much. You started there back in your under-12s days. Yeah, I started there when I was 10, playing with the boys in under-12s. And, yeah, I've gone through playing in under-15s, girls, under-18s, and now in the women. If I'm correct, you're probably uh, around the mark of 70, 75 games so far in your career? I think I was actually around um, 100 on the grand final day. Oh, that is absolutely sensational. I think I did my 100th game, yeah, on grand final. 
That is sensational. And considering when we talk about years ago, it was just big for women to get to 50 when there wasn't no uh, youth girls football. But now to see that you're around the 100 mark is absolutely fantastic. Uh, as you said, you've gone through the under 12s, 14s, 15s and girls competitions. You actually started playing in the NTFL Women's Premier League last year, a big year for Crocs. Uh, at that stage, you were 16. How did you find the jump up from playing under-18s girls football where you were dominant to playing in the Women's Premier League? Yeah, I was like a little bit nervous at the start. I didn't think that I was really up to that standard at first, but I found it so much better. I found that my skills just improved so much more and I just felt like a better player playing in the women's, really. It's an interesting philosophy, isn't it? Because in one way, as you said, you might be scared because you're playing against the bigger bodies. You're thinking, what's it going to be like when you get hit? But in another way, do you have more confidence because those skills are cleaner, because you can anticipate where the ball is going to be? Yeah, that's the easier part of it. And you can also rely more on your other players as well because you know that you're playing along. Everyone else is a strong player as well. Exactly. I was going to say, how is that growing up when you're playing junior football? You're one of the stars in the side, but as we know how junior football is, it's a mixed bag. You've got the real standout players and then you've got those that are just really playing for fun. Yeah, it is. it was a bit different and it's like you don't have to worry about who you're kicking the ball to. It's like, oh yeah, I can just kick it to them because I have the confidence in your teammates all the time now. Let's talk about that uh, fantastic 2019-2020 season for Southern Districts because we'd become accustomed to sides like Waratah and the Darwin Buffets being up at the top end of the table in the NTFL Women's Premier League. For yourself, what do you think clicked? What went right in 2020 for the Crocs to take the Premiership? Yeah, well, I come in about round five and I think that's when we started just clicking together. Everyone's was really passionate, obviously, after losing the grand final the year before. And everyone was just hungry for the win again. We had most of the same team. And we, no one wanted to lose this year, like well, last season. So I think that's really what clicked for us. How blown away were you to be given the NTFL Women's Premier League Rising Star Award last year? Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. I was a bit shocked at that, to be honest, as well, because there's a couple of other young girls that were had a good season. But, yeah, I was really excited that I won that. As you said, with those exciting young girls, from your perspective, around your age, who are the up-and-coming rising stars in the NTFL Women's League that we really should be keeping an eye out for, particularly when we consider the draft for 2022? Um, Georgia Johnson from Waratah, she's... I think she's 17 as well. She's such an amazing player. She's gone away to Thunder uh, two years ago and she's been in the Thunder squad as well. And um, Shanoa Leedy from Palmerston and Aisha Rondo from Palmerston as well. They're both amazing players. We've talked about your Rising Star Award, but we haven't talked about the Williams Award for Best on Ground. What do you remember specifically about Grand Final Day at the 2019-2020 season? Well, I actually went into the game injured, so I was a bit, um, I was sort of just not expecting much of a good game from myself. So I was a bit like, oh, it is what it is. Just sat full forward, didn't really go into the midfield like I usually do, and just played as well as I could under the circumstances. 
Well, you did well because you managed to beat out in the voting uh, quality players such as Bella Clark, Rhiannon Bush and Mattia Breed. Yeah, they all played really good games as well, so... And, of course, you took on the Premiership 6-3-39 to uh, 3-3-21. Of course, we covered it last year when you had an American in your side in uh, April Lewis. Uh, by the way, April hasn't tempted you, has she, to, you know, just take a year off and let's just go backpacking in the USA. Oh, maybe not in the USA at the moment. Uh, but, yeah, it'd be good to go back there to the USA, so... So you, you've had a fantastic 2019-20 teams, we said. The rising star, the best on ground in the grand final. Um, obviously, leaving aside all the craziness that we've had in COVID-19, we know it hasn't hit the NT as bad as it has in other states, such as Victoria. But can you talk about the difference leading into this preseason? There's a couple of things. First of all, um, ironically mentioning Victoria, a number of Victorians, because they lost their season, all flooded up to Darwin to be able to play some football. So that's obviously risen the standard in one way. But instead of being the hunter, you're now the hunted. You're the reigning premiers. The competition is coming for you. Can you talk about what it's like training with that pressure? Yeah, so in the preseason, Carmen and Matt Cunard, the men's coach, made it really vocal that we are the hunted this season and that we really we can't just plateau. We have to step up again, knowing that there'd be other good players coming into other teams and we only took in I think one Victorian player and she played about three games so far and this season we've had like a much smaller squad and due to that we've just gelled so much more together as a team and I think that's really helped. Absolutely. Of course, um, the star standout player for your side is Taylor Thorne. Um, she played 10 games for you, uh, most of it obviously in the first half of the season before the Christmas break. Um, sensational from her, five times in the best, 25 goals from her this year. Yeah, she was really good to have back in our side, especially having a solid forward to hit up every single time, just relying on her to win her one-on-ones all around the ground, really. Can you talk us through some of your standout players for this year? I note uh, named in the best four times include Emma Forsyth, uh, Mallory Nankervis, and uh, also Megan Crawford. Um, yeah, well, Emma Forsyth has had such an amazing year. She just keeps on improving every year. I used to play in under-18s with her. And, yeah, coming up to Premier League, she's just upped her game so much with, you know, getting fit and everything like that. And then Mallory Nankervis, she's has been so amazing in our back line. Last, last game in, against St Mary's, I think she saved about three goals, just scrambling, rushing through behinds and all that. And then Megan Crawford, she has um, just gotten super, super fit and she's just running out full games. And I think that she's just so vital for our team as well. And other players I'd like to mention as well, like the, as we mentioned, Rhiannon Bush, Letitia Jeffrey, uh, Samantha Hugenveen Hill, a number of players with NT Thunder experience. Yeah, they are all really, really good for our team, especially Lala. She's the best captain. And Megan Crawford's also our co captain. And those two together have just really helped our team. I think that we wouldn't have done so well last season without Lala and Megzi being just the best captains you could ask for. And then this season, Sam hasn't been able to come up as much. She played, I think, nearly every game last season, but I think she's only played about three or four games this season. But we've really missed her in the forward line as well. 
So having a look at the ladder, how it sits at the moment, we know that Pint is going to be minor premiers, how they sit at the moment. 14 wins, one by. Uh, the Darwin Buffets are three wins ahead of you, um, and I think they've got one or two easy games on their schedule, so it looks like they've got second spot locked away. St Mary's is now wobbly in third spot after you beat them on the weekend, and this is your run coming up. You've got, obviously, uh, Tracy Village, which is uh, this Saturday at 5pm at TIO Oval number 2. Uh, then you've got a, a tough one. You've got Nightcliff coming up in round 17 at Norbilt Oval. And then to uh, round out the season, uh, you have, gosh, if, as soon as I bring that up, uh, the Darwin Buffets. So it, it's a bit of a tricky one, isn't it? Because uh, no disrespect to Tracy Village, but you're playing the bottom side. You're playing the easy beats of the competition. And then you're ramping up against a couple of sides you may cross path with in the finals. Yeah, so we're really going to use our Tracy Village game to fine-tune a couple of things like our forward entries and all that. And then against Nightcliff, we should have beaten them last time, but we drew with them. So I think that will be really hungry, especially the last two games are out at our home ground. So we we don't like losing there. So we'll be definitely trying our best to get the win at home. And for yourself uh, personally, Grace, um, how do you see the rest of 2020 uh, panning out? Uh, you're staying up there in the top end and then rolling into uh, the 21-2022 season and nominating for the draft in that? Or are you being called up for the AFL Women's Academy? Are you thinking about coming down south to play a handful of games again to prepare for the draft? What's, what's the plan looking like as much as we can plan with COVID-19 still hanging out there? So my plan for this year, I will be doing the Thunder Academy. We've got a couple of games. I think we've got a chance in the Gold Coast and a game there, then two games in Melbourne as well. So I'll be using those games to sort of get my name out there a bit more. And then earlier in January, I went down to Norwood and trained with them in Adelaide. And hopefully I'll play some games for them next year in the Sample W season. Excellent. Great to hear that. And uh, what is the, the thinking at the moment? Because the NT situation is a little bit different compared to the other states. Of course, they used to have that partnership with the Crows. Um, now they don't. It's kind of a, a loose arrangement with the Suns. Um, essentially, you can nominate for any state. So is it a case of you're waiting back to hear from clubs? Is there also um, the consideration of university in there as well of, okay, am I uh, going to get uni off of some certain states? And that will also play into where I may go to play. Yeah, that's the thing. I have um, finishing year twelve this year, so um, I think I'll probably think about footy and then first, and then see what unis are around the area that I'm playing footy. So so far, I've got a spot in Adelaide that I'm going to at Norwood, but if I get you know a chance to play in the AFLW next season, obviously I'd take that up. And yeah. And absolutely, we certainly love to uh, see you running around. It's something that we don't actually ask quite often, considering you're part of the generation that is being inspired by AFLW. You were playing junior football when AFLW began. A, who is your current AFLW footballer? And if people t- were trying to compare you, who would you say you, you base your game on the most? You play very similar to if we were to compare AFLW players. Uh, I'm not too sure, actually. No one's really compared me to many women players, I guess. I guess I do like to watch Ebony Marinoff a fair bit. She's, I think she's really good, but I'm not too sure, actually. 
Yeah, it's one to think about, but it's good to hear you love Noffy. Everyone loves the Noff. Well, thank you very much, Grace, for joining us here. We wish you and the Southern Crocs all the very best for the remainder of the home and away season and a big finals campaign coming up in just over three weeks' time as you go to defend your Premiership title. Thank you very much. And let's take a look at the scores from round 15 of the NTFL Women's Competition. Now, round 15 was a split round. It originally began back on Tuesday, the 26th of January, on the public holiday, a standalone game between Waratah and Wanderers. Waratah 15-5-95, defeating Wanderers 3-4-22. McGully, nine goals for Waratah. Singh also chipping with three, Martin with two. Across to the other games, which were all played on the Saturday, Darwin Buffett's 8-12-60, defeating Palmerston Magpies, just the three behind. Uh, only best players that have been listed have been for the Palmerston Magpies, and they were Byers, Romberg, May, White and Huddleston. So the second game on the Saturday, Pite, what a big victory for them over Tracy Village, 17-15-117 to no score. Uh, for Pite, uh, Reed kick four, Hicks kicks three, uh, Trail and Doherty kick two goals each. Streeter named best on ground along with Hewitt, Doherty, Hicks and Trail. Uh, for Tracy Village, best players, Trappett, Irving, Wilson, Clark, Dudley and Cross. And to the final game of the round, uh, what a big win there for the Southern District's Crocs as we talked about with Grace Mulberhill, the Crocs 5-7-37, defeating St Mary's 3-6-24. For the Crocs goal kickers, Grace Mulberhill with the two, Toy Taylor and Wing. For St Mary's goal kickers, Stevens, Porter and Simmons. Better players for the Crocs, Clark, Brock, Mulberhill, Farrah and Taylor. Better players for St Mary's, Porter, Stevens, Paris, Shannon, Forshaw and Maxted. Looking ahead to round 16 football, Nycliffe coming off the bye and they've got a game 2.30pm on their home deck against the Palmerston Magpies. Saturday, 5pm at TIO Oval Number 2, Tracy Village versus the Southern Districts Crocs. 10am on Sunday morning at Tracy Village, it is Wanderers versus Darwin Barfetts. And at 12pm on Sunday, Gardens Oval, Waratah versus St Mary's, Pint with the bye. VFL Women's Footy Report. And joining us on the line now is the new coach. Can we call him that, considering he technically hasn't coached a game, but he's been in the position for over a year. But, of course, as we know, due to COVID-19, football did not exist in the state of Victoria in 2020. Finally, he's able to start getting a side out there on the park. He did so last weekend against Weemstown at La Trobe University in a practice match hit-out in anticipation of a start on the 27th and 28th of February for the new VFLW season. It's great to have on the line the head coach of the Darren Falcons and the VFLW, Mitch Scully. Mitch, how are you? I'm good. Very excited after this. Finally got to play some footy after, yeah, it must be 14 or 15 months for me in the role. So, yeah, it was fun to get out there and uh, just just enjoy it on Saturday, even though we may not have taken a win away. I think just getting a game under the belt was all we wanted Exactly, the opportunity for, for them to have a competitive hit-out. For some of them, the first time in 18 months, it's been a long time for Victorians. Let's go back, in fact, to when we spoke last year. Um, the season had just been put on pause. At that stage, we were hoping for the VFLW to come back. And, in fact, uh, we actually had the question posed to you at that time of, hey, have you spoken to the team that there may be a possibility that the season will not go ahead, that you may have to go to community football? And, and who would know from when we were speaking back then that Victorian football completely would be wiped out? 
know, it's, I, was, I was reflecting on that before the last time we spoke. It was that kind of very early on in COVID, which oh, you know, might blow over in a couple of weeks or maybe the season was going to get pushed back a bit. But, yeah, obviously we didn't uh, think quite account for, for how serious the situation was going to be. So, uh, yeah, hopefully things are looking a lot better for 2021. But, yeah, with everything as we've seen today, anything can change pretty quickly, can't it? Absolutely. Now, we saw with some clubs, uh, Williamstown was probably the one of note where a lot of players said, that's it, I'm getting out of the state of Victoria while I can. Some are playing as we speak in the summer comp in Darwin. We noticed a couple of players, for example, out of Essendon, uh, left and managed to get up to Queensland to play uh, around July, August, September in the uh, QAFLW competition. For yourself with the Darabin Falcons, were any able to get away to another state to get a bit of football under their belt? No, I can't say that we've got anyone that did that did leave, but we haven't signed anyone that's come from interstate competition. So we are literally all uh, all reflecting, all, all going back to 2019 to our last game of footy. So definitely need to get a few uh, few Ks under the belt before round one. So reflecting on that, because as we spoke to you last time, you were uh, recruiting a lot of local talent out of the Northern Football League. As you said, they haven't had that competitive hit out. So what was the feedback like to you on Saturday lunchtime after you've just completed this first game against Williamstown, the first time they've had a serious competitive hit out against an opposition? Yeah, it was uh, like, obviously it was great to be out there and and it's a big ground out of Trobe and I think, Probably by 10 minutes into the last quarter, probably both teams felt the same way, but we could definitely tell that our, our group was uh, bit out on their legs and we had an extended bench as well. So it shows, you know, you can do all the pre-season in the world and all of the S&C programs, but that change of pace from training and intra-club games up to a bit more of a competitive hit-out, it's just massive. And, yeah, everyone was tired and sore, but at the same time, you know, after the game, Again, even though we lost, it was just, everyone was smiling. Everyone was really happy with themselves just to get some footy in and, you know, yeah, probably have a bit of a light one tomorrow night. And then got a bit of a break, you know, with the weekend off this weekend and then uh, have another big hit out against Essendon in a couple of weeks. Can you explain what challenges it's been like to keep the strength and conditioning up to scratch for the Darabin Falcons as we talk about as we went through the winter? Uh, Victoria went into such a lockdown at some stage. People could only uh, stay at home or only allowed one hour a day outside and they could only do it with another person from their household. And weeks later, it became five people and ten people. So there was nowhere near organised training for several months. And also to add to that fact, unfortunately with your club, it's a small community club. Club Darabin, it does not have uh, the resources to throw at it that an AFL club does. Yeah, obviously that that's always going to be a challenge for us, and we you know, I guess we embrace embrace that challenge. But uh, last year, I think when when we had the initial lockdown, you know, there was still the prospect of playing free, whether, whether it be a shortened season or whatever. We we continued an SNC program, um, obviously all online, so we did some some workouts on Zoom, like I think. Nearly half the population did at some point, and we did. Uh, we had a running program for everyone, and then we. I think we got back in and had a couple of sessions when things started to open up, and we were sort of thinking, you know, we might be building towards something. Uh, so obviously, started to ramp up again, and then once that that longer term serious lockdown happened, we we kind of made a decision to let everyone uh, really go their own way and, and do their own thing because we didn't want people to feel like they'd been, you know taking part in the program for 12, 18 months, non-stop, 
without even, I guess, the reward of playing footy. So we kind of said we're just going to put it all on hold and, you know, everyone can, um, you know, obviously we, we still had our SMC coaching who was more than happy to give some ideas for running or some strength sessions they could do at home. Uh, but, yeah, it was more some people just wanted to shut shut off from footy. Other people we sort of saw engaging a bit more in the group chat and that sort of thing and we kind of let everyone go to go how they, you know, the path they wanted to take during that time. But then, you know, now we are back. It's great. Um, yeah, we don't have, like some of the clubs, we don't have a gym or, you know, an, our own facility, but we've got a good relationship with YMCA, uh, who are one of our sponsors at Northcote. So the players and staff have access to the gym there. So that, that kind of uh, gives us something a little bit different. We've also got the swimming pool there and it's a good facility. So, you know, the, the, um, all the players have their strength program and, and their, to go and use the facilities there and to make sure that we're not missing out on those um, you know, those, those extra gains to keep us competing. Let's talk about the recruiting process. Uh, as you said, you hadn't signed any players from interstate. You were focusing on uh, Northern Football League talent, including when you had uh, coached uh, previously in 2019 with uh, the Heidelberg Tigers. Um, how hard has it been to try and add on to the list you already had for 2020 uh, when we consider that, as we said, there's no grassroots football for the 2020 year due to COVID-19. So there's no way to see those players that are, say, 20-plus in age that are late bloomers that you go, oh, this kid's got talent to be able to find them because there's no year of football. And at the same time, uh, the NAB League talent that you would have looked at as well um, that missed out on being drafted to the AFLW, you've only got about three games worth of vision to go off over last year. Yeah, you're right. Like it, 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 is, it was hard. Um, it, there was no, no, I guess, special formula that was going to work for us. We just we tried all, you know, a few different approaches. So obviously, we wanted to make sure we're attracting, I guess, players that have already played some footy at the level, and we'd already uh, recruited a few of those from other clubs uh, in in the lead up to 2020. And then at the start of this, well, when we sort of got back into footy this preseason, we we did really want to target some plays from the NFNL. So we've got picked up a couple of players that were playing at uh, Western Spurs in 2019 and we know how successful and how you know, the standard of their women's football program there is brilliant. So the girls that have come through there, I think, are ready to probably step up and probably play VFLW already. Um, and then from our own club, but we, we want Darwin to be a place where you can come, whether it's to play junior football or play community footy in the NFNL, uh, and develop, and we try and you know, incorporate our VFLW coaches as well. Um, and we've, out of our current time squad, I think four were playing NFNL at um, Darabin in 2019, and three were playing under 18. So that, for us, like that's a really good reflection of of, um, of how good the program is and, and how that pathway is there for the players that want to you know, come join Darabin, get that coaching, and then sort of make that step up when the opportunity presents itself. So, yeah, we've picked up quite a few from NFNL and then a couple of others. I put the social media post out there and you might just get someone that comes down and um, you don't know how they, they even know how they got to you sometimes, but picked up a few uh, from Bendigo and Ballarat and all over the place. So we've got, yeah, a really good mix of um, some experienced players that have played BFLW, um, some local talent and then there's a few that have popped up out of nowhere. 
as you build towards the 2021 season, as we said, you've had the double preseason to come into it. What type of brand of football do you want the Darabin Football Club to be playing now? We know the Darabin of the past, and we have to say the past because the players that we talk about when we talk about Brennan, Pierce, Paxman, O'Day, and the list goes on, um, they were the creme to the creme. So they were able to do uh, possession football. Possession and structure was that brand of Darabin football. Back in that era, you could say that Diamond Creek was uh, inside tough football. That was their brand. And Melbourne University was very much a running game. What type of football do you want to see as the Darabin brand going forward? Yeah, well, you're right. Like, you, you, we can't expect to turn up and play the same way when we've had we have a massive turnover of plays in the last you know, four or five years with so many being drafted um, and so many few retirements and that sort of thing. But I guess for us, like, the, the way I try and say things is we have just a, a game plan that I'd say is pretty simple, but everyone understands their role um, and feels confident about their Saturday or a Sunday and, and, and play their role to the team, whatever that might be. In terms of ball movement, work a lot on controlling the pace. So I think there's times in the game when we will, you know, retain possession, try and work the ball slowly up the field, but there's other moments when we want to go far. And I think a lot of our training is to try and uh, get that balance right. I think on the weekend, it's probably something we didn't do as well as we would have liked. It's a bit too slow too often, but um, yeah, given that the new way of playing for some of the girls and and it's a new team essentially for us. Um, it will have to be careful with what we saw and type of the game on Saturday. On the weekend against Williamstown, what boxes did you tick? What were you happy with? The energy and the effort. Like, we had probably seven players playing their first game against women. So they've come from junior football programs and just some of the tackling and the pressure. So I think. On the weekend, I felt that we probably got a little bit uh, exposed on the outside. We probably were a bit too we're strong at the contest, but we didn't maybe have enough pace on the outside. So we were really happy with our yeah, physicality and, and, and in and under stuff. We probably just need to work a bit more and get in the balance right with our you know, few numbers on the outside and maybe get a few more quick plays around that contest as well. But yeah, Williamstown were really well set up. Charles, um, you could sort of see how they wanted to play with their things, sitting back on the footy and then when they did get the chance to run and carry, they have to really, they've got a, quite a few um, players with a pace, so they'll be pretty thankful for sure. Out of the new players that you have picked up with your side, who impressed you over the weekend? Uh, I can, there's a few, but um, down back, Ashley Gunn. So Gunn had played about six or seven games at Western Bulldogs in uh, 2019, and she just looked great. One on one on one, really composed um, footy. Uh, in the middle, we had Sydney, Sydney Kobash, who played for played a few games at Carlton in 2019, and she would have, she would have probably had her hand on the footy 60, 70% of the time that she was in there. Uh, it's probably, that's another area we want to work on, is capitalising on that. I think probably not used to, well, not used to playing as a group, but this group that we had um, didn't get that connection, but that's something we work on over the next few weeks. And then up forward, um, old, I shouldn't say old, but one of the, uh, I guess, old heads in the team, Steph Simpson, who's been around a long time, when she was on the ground, she only played a bit over half, but throughout all of her leadership and passing, why she's probably they've been an elite player at that level for so long. And then another one, um, Sabine Kelly, you fuck with, I think is how we pronounce it. Um, yeah, really, really good lead up for playing her first game of CFLW. So, yeah, a, a good mix of 
some of the girls that have come in that are new to the club and then um, definitely, you know, a bit of a veteran of the club and then another player comes to the NFNL program. So, yeah, just a couple of names I can give you that I was pretty happy with. But really, yeah, I think a lot of people would walk away feeling pretty good about themselves, uh, especially the ones that were playing their first game of VFLW level or first game of senior footy. Um, I think a few people walk away feeling pretty good, yeah. How do you go into a season like this, um, trying to plan and anticipate what will happen ahead, leaving aside COVID-19, if anything happens with that, like we've seen with the uh, what's happened over in WA and the Perth lockdown, but more along the case of because the VFLW has now aligned its season mostly with the AFLW and knowing for at least the first, uh, let's say, two months of the season, maybe a little less, that you'll be playing against sides that will have little AFLW talent in it. Um, all those AFLW line sides will have probably at most nine AFLW players playing in the match. Yeah, I, I think um, we have to look at it as a good opportunity for us um, because we know that you know, it, it points in uh, between our struggles to have some of these AFLW players that we had later in the year. So at least we feel it's a bit more of a level playing field uh, it's just so hard to know. Like the, as you touched on, nobody's played footy for so long. I think a lot of squads will have turned over quite a few players, and then you know, um, yeah, there'll be a lot of I think opportunities for players that want to step up and and play regular footy at VFLW level. A lot more opportunities for them this year. As I think, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, cap is ten AFLW players at any given time. So you know, you're not going to see would playing just about their whole AFLW list in a VFLW game. It's going to really give opportunities to players who are trying to, you know, make make their name in the game. Well, Mitch, thank you very much for joining us here once again. Uh, well done for having your first hit out against Williamstown, dusting off the cobwebs. Enjoy the break and get set for Essendon in a week and a half time, and then. Believe it or not, in about three weeks from now, the season will kick off 27th, 28th of February. Uh, we can't wait. We can't wait for Essendon. We can't wait for round one. Um, yeah, just loving footy being back. Thanks, Peter. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget you can catch our podcast on all your favourite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Acast, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, Deezer, Breaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud and at WARFradio.com. Just Google search Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. It's as easy as that. Or you can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search WARF Radio. Don't forget we air here on RSN Carnival every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week, it's bye for now.